0: Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries. No more time zone issues. Just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit PragmaticInstitute.com Foundations to learn more.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calagres from Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. And today, I am really excited to welcome back one of my favorite guests and one of the truly nicest people you're ever going to meet. Absolute product, customer success, all things related fanatic. Kirsten Betso, who is Senior Vice President of HMH, as well as an adjunct professor at Northern Arizona University, and a former pragmatic instructor, and a good friend of mine. So welcome, Kirsten.
2: Well, Rebecca, thank you very much. I am super excited to be here as always. It's just such a fun respite out of my workday to come and chat. And I don't know if we're going to tackle maybe the biggest topic today, but we're definitely going to tackle an entertaining topic today, I think.
1: I think this is a topic that, to your point, we may not be saving lives, but we could be helping people save their sanity because it is a topic that I think a lot of us have gotten gotten a little fed up with, a little tired of, right? I don't know how many of you have been in a Zoom meeting or an in-person meeting and played buzzword bingo, right? We're like, oh my gosh, if somebody says scalable again. Or, you know, we've, we, now it's artificial intelligence and generative AI. like There are just certain phrases that really are so commonly used and don't necessarily mean a whole lot. And I think, Kirsten, you've got a really great perspective on some particular corporate jargon and why maybe not doing us any favors when we leverage those words.
2: Yeah. So today we're going to talk about corporate jargon. And is it really adding value? detracting or creating a net neutral situation, right? So best case scenario, it's adding value. I think that's probably suspect. Um, (laughs) Worst case scenario, I think it it has the potential to cause actual harm. And net neutral is really not a great place you want to be. I think elevator music exists for a reason, but isn't really what you should strive for. So yeah, so you and I actually have been talking and and just talking about the, the silliness sometimes that goes along with corporate speak, corporate jargon. And I was recently reading an article in Forbes, and there was a company by the name of Preply that actually did a survey based on most, I don't remember how they phrased it, but we'll say least popular. I was going to say most, most uh, disdainful, but least, <laughs> least popular corporate jargon phrases. And I read it and I got to thinking about it and it's fun and it's a a fun little read. But then I also got to thinking about phrases we use and do they actually have the potential to inhibit what it is we're trying to accomplish. And I really got to thinking about that. And there were three phases on the top 10 list in that article that I thought maybe we want to impact because they were really the ones that really stuck out for me that I felt like, man, I think we should vanquish this. From our corporate vocabulary, because ultimately, I don't think it's doing us any favors.
1: Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
2: Let's so do I'm going to jump in if that's all right. We're Absolutely. So we can't do the whole 10 list. So I'm going to do number 10, number five, and number one. So the 10 least favorite corporate jargon phrase that Preply found in its survey was thinking outside the box. Thinking outside the box. Now, I will tell you why I don't love thinking outside the box. Here's why. When you have a box, it implies a set boundary. We're inside that little square and we're toiling away and everything's great. But we need to do something different. All we have to do is crack through that little, nice, neat boundary that we've been existing in. And if we crack out of that boundary, greatness will ensue. Innovation will happen. Evolution will occur. And the reason why I don't like that concept or that construct is because why have a box? Why have a box in the first place? The box to me represents a boundary and it represents a boundary that we need to crack through and escape from. And so I think about it more like a dot. What if you just had a blank piece of paper and you had a dot in the middle of your paper and you need to get somewhere else on that piece of paper with that dot and you don't have to worry about breaking through an existing norm in order for that to happen because you're not putting yourself in that box in the first place. And I love to think about it in terms of expansion. How do we constantly think about driving evolution, driving improvement, driving innovation by constantly expanding? And so I think if we think about it in those terms, we free ourselves up to think more broadly, to think more outside boundaries, preset boundaries. And so that's one of the reasons why, I'm not a huge fan of number 10 on that list, thinking outside the box. I think it inhibits us.
1: I think so too. And I also think there's something about like, if I said to you, you know what, Kirsten, you just need to think outside the box. It's something, somewhat insulting. Like you as an intelligent, you know, contributor to an organization, that is what you do, right? You're always doing that. So to, to pretend like there's some box that, I, that you're not smart enough to reach out of, like that to me feels very... Insulting and limiting, and versus that mindset is always that I'm expanding, and you can't just like draw the outline across me as I expand. So yeah,
2: right. I mean, it's that's funny. I never even thought about it from a condescending perspective, but that actually rings super true. You know, it's about the that growth mindset, which probably growth mindset's teetering in being a bit of a corporate jargon phrase. But we'll leave that. It's it it not, out on, the so it's, it's not on, it's on the list though. At
1: worst, it's number right
2: 11, now. We can say it freely here. <laughs> Yeah. I And I, you know, I think that we should be in a mindset of continuous improvement, continuous evolution, rather than saying, let's get in a boundary. And then if we can get outside of that boundary, we'll have a new boundary. And then we right. can get outside of that boundary and then we'll have a new boundary. I just think why have the box in the first place? Let's just get it rid of like the box. It was
1: like the old cartoon where they like would draw the line and it was like, don't step over the line. And then Bugs Bunny would step over the line and then um, Fed would draw a new line. And like, you just keep moving the boundary is exactly the opposite sort of empowerment that we want to give the the employees who work for us.
2: Right. And, you know, I also think there, it sort of implies a, what we're doing today is okay, but we we could be doing better versus what we're doing today might be great. What's, what's even greater, even though I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure that's great grammar, but you're with me. <laughs>
1: Hopefully. Well, maybe we could do more, Kirsten, if we did number five on the list. You
2: know, this is a really good point that you make, Rebecca, because number five on the list is one that drives me personally insane. And that is give
1: 110%.
2: (laughs) All we need to do is give 110%. We just got to give 110%. What's it going to take to get 110% on this? Well, I mean, think about what that's saying. What that says is, All we really need to do is create an unsustainable work environment where we're all exceeding max capacity. And if that's the construct we have, that's when we get really great stuff. And I understand we have to surge from time to time in our jobs and in our roles during busy season, exceptional kinds of things. But if we allow 110% to be the standard, You don't have a sustainable work environment. And if you don't have a sustainable work environment, you will not evolve the way you need to and should as a company because you don't give people the time and space to have all the ideas to think about what they need to do. I mean, there's a reason all the great ideas come to you in the shower or when you're doing routine activities. It's because your mind is relaxed. It's clean. You're doing a routine that can be very cathartic. And if you've ever had a problem that you can't solve and you go for a bike ride or you go for a walk or you take a shower, you do something totally different, very often it instantly comes to you. Whereas if you sat at your desk and you try to force that answer by giving 110%, it doesn't come. And so there is a law of diminishing returns. And I will tell you, anyone on my team will tell you, I'm deeply passionate about creating sustainable work environments. I actually say, you know what, give 85% and then take the other 15% and use that as thinking time. Use that as uh, discovery time. Use that as creation time. Use that as learning time. Use that as time that will ultimately make you more effective, more productive in your role. And we will ultimately get far better work product and we will go much farther than if we just think that the standard is 110%. And it seems like that's even creeping up these days to 120%. So I would definitely like to remove the 110% out of our standard work vocabulary. And again, I'm not talking about when we need to do surges.
1: I'm talking about a natural way of being. There's lots of good things I want to unpack there. For one thing, like the drives me nuts because like the math doesn't work. In this case, you know, (laughs) 100% equals whole, right? Like there is no, there's no more whole than that. And I also think, well, to your point, the surges are there. The surge maybe gives you up to, you have 100% of my capacity of and thinking, right? But like the idea that you encourage your team to like, let's focus on 85. So that 15% gives you that freedom to spark new creative ideas is, I think, amazing. And we should all think that. Do you have any advice for those on this call who are like, I wish Kirsten, you were my boss and told me to give 85%? How to either frame that with their boss or how to sort of fight and scrap for some of that time, which is really sometimes our most productive thinking and best ideas come in that not scheduled time. How, how could someone listening who wasn't reporting to you?
2: Well, you know, I think that yeah, this is your this is a big question that you're asking, right? Because not everybody thinks this way, right? Mm-hmm. It is a matter of prioritization. So I think about this similarly to developing user stories, prioritizing user stories, prioritizing releases. Not everything you want to do or build into your product can be done at this moment in time. Everything can't be a number one priority. If everything's a one, nothing's a one. And so this is analogous to what I'm talking about. And that is, what are the priorities? Now, I think it's important if you have general strategic direction that you understand, you know, what's now, what's next. Right? I think that's good questions to ask. I'm a big fan of the phrase think big, act small, move fast. Hmm. And I think that really it's about sitting down with your leader and saying, look, here are all the priorities that I have. These are the ones that I think are the most important, the most that will have the most material impact on the results we're trying to drive towards and the results we're trying to seek. This is how I see them contributing to the numbers. This is how I see them driving the quantifiable results that we're trying to achieve as an organization. These other things, yes, they're nice to have. Yes, maybe we should do them someday, but they don't have a material impact. And so let me help you understand what I believe has the greatest material impact. Additionally, Mm. I need some time, other time that's not related to doing this exact work but actually helps make this work better. I need time to do some research. I need time to maybe get some training on a methodology that's going to make me more efficient. I need some time to read industry information that might help inform what it is I'm trying to do. And this time needs to be baked into my workday as well. So what I'm asking is, can we look down at my work can we say, okay, this is the work that has to be done because it has a material quantifiable impact on the business. And then there's this other work that quite honestly has to be done too, if we really want the other work to be great. But if we're only ever living in the weeds with the immediate work that has to be done, well, then we're not, we're going back to C number one on the box thinking. We're not thinking in terms of perpetual expansion. And so it's really about, you know, what is essential to to the workday. And I actually think that brain time, that thinking time is essential too. And so I think that that is an item in and of itself on the priority list.
1: I love that. The other thing I would add is I think we all need to be honest with ourselves and look internally. I don't think it's always our boss or someone else who's filling up our calendar, right? I think it's often that we're like, I could do this. And I, you know, I, I for a lot of type A, a lot of problem solvers, a lot of want to make an impact. How many things are we taking on because we can, that we should ask ourselves if we should, if solving this problem or putting out this fire or sort of half, you know, it's not like a full volunteer, but we take it on because we know we can do it is keeping us from having that sort of time that we need. And I think that there's probably... I'd probably say there, there's a lot of that within the product managers that I talk to just as a personality trait that I think is important to be honest with ourselves and say, okay, if I'm going to volunteer to do that or you know, get, get that check off of the list or say, you know, be the superhero over here, am I really cutting some of my own time short for some of that sort of free thinking and creativity time?
2: I mean, you make a great point. If you're filling the 15% with... Random request? Well, that's not in the spirit of what we're talking about here.
1: But it's, it's like the superhero. Like I, I they no don't requested syndrome. it, but I can come in and do this, and and it'll be better, and it'll be great. Like we took it on, and sometimes those are great, but I think they can be Pandora's box, which is also not on the list. So I'm feeling good about that,
2: right? It's superhero syndrome. Yep. I mean, here's the thing, Rebecca. No is a full sentence, mm-hmm. and. It's about understanding. I come to work every day and my boss expects me to get certain things done this year. I have big goals I'm supposed to be fulfilling this year. I know what those goals are. So when I meet with and talk to my teams, we try to calibrate our work to those goals. Now, I get a ton of other requests throughout the course of the year. But if they're not in fulfillment of those goals, I don't do a carte blanche. No, because I don't want to be a jerk. (laughs) But by the same token, if it's something that isn't going to have a material impact for what I'm accountable for, when I have to sit in front of my boss at the end of the year, and we look at what I did or did it accomplish, is it helping me? And if the answer to that is no, well, then I think you really should question whether or not you should be doing it. Now, You could have those situations where it's a new thing and you think it should replace something on the list because it's a better thing that you didn't see about. I'm not saying we should be rigid or fixed and Mm -hmm. have a list and it's only this list and that will be the list from henceforth and we etch it in stone and we never change it. We will never, ever, ever want ever in every aspect of our lives for more time to do the things we want to do. We will never want. There will always be more things than there is time allotted in the universe. So it just becomes a question of where and how you spend your time. And if you're allowing yourself to be run ragged, well, it's time to speak up and it's time to have that conversation about priorities. And it's also time to make sure that you're allotting yourself that time to be a better, more productive employee. I I can tell you, when I came into this role, I made it very, very, very clear to people. Do not check your email on vacation. I swear I will have IT pull your records. I will check up on you. I better not find you checking email on vacation because if you're checking on email on vacation, it's now a change of venue for your work. It's not an actual vacation. Now, I will tell you there were some leaders on my team that broke out in hives well, I'm just a little, I'm just this, oh, just once a day, just a, just a little bit. I'm like, no, no, I am I want you to squirm. I want you to go away. I want you to sit on the beach. I want you to stare in the sunset and I want you to come back refreshed and I don't want you to check email. And the first, I had a couple of people that literally were just thought I had asked them to commit a crime. And, <laughs> and I'm like, just do it, test it. Just test it for me and come back and let me know. And they all came back and said, oh, my gosh, new standard. I'm never working on vacation again because I am coming back. I had a thousand amazing ideas just sitting on the beach doing nothing. And I wouldn't have had those if I was being mired in the little individual request still and trying to fulfill emails. The thing, too, is if the business is going to go out of business because an individual employee is gone for, say, a max of 10 business days, I mean, that's a problem. That's a different problem, right? And so I think we also need to calibrate that the business probably can survive if we take a few minutes out of a day, if we go on vacation and we use that time to mentally refresh, restore and recalibrate because we come back better and we're better workers for it. And that all needs to be baked into the hundred percent. And exactly to your point, Rebecca, if we are at 110% when the surge comes, now we're at 120, 25. It's not sustainable.
1: So No. No. All right. Are you ready for number one? Should we do a little drum roll?
2: Ready for number one. Drum roll. the, now and this is a new one. I was surprised when I read it on the list. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do like the TV thing where they do the big reveal on who's Should one. Go, or hold on or whatever. Whatever. after
1: these messages. The, <laughs> the,
2: the number the, the number one is the phrase "new normal." New normal. Mm. Now there is a thought process that this is popped up on the list and is a number one because it is a byproduct of COVID. There was mm. a world before COVID. There's now a new world after COVID. I would actually put new normal a little bit in the same way of thinking of thinking outside the box, which is it implies there was a way and now there's a new way and we should standardize on the new way and wait until the next new way comes and then we'll standardize on that new way. What I find fascinating is humans have this innate desire to get to a steady state place. And then that's the normal. And now we'll call it the new normal. But the world is never a steady state place, Mm -hmm. ever, in any capacity. And I find it fascinating that we seem to perpetually be striving to achieve these steady state constructs when the universe actually isn't organized that way. The universe, every single day, all of us wake up and random stuff happens that you did not see coming. You were not planning for is out of left field. It's a big customer problem. The competitors released a feature that you don't have. Maybe you have employee issues. Maybe your water heater went out and you didn't get a hot water, a hot shower that morning. Every single day, every single day, people come in to the day and something happens that is a thing they weren't anticipating. And we feel like if we could just put this normal construct in that we could just have this guaranteed set of rules and a rubric by which the world will behave because that's how we want it to behave when you're actually better off saying, well, that's never going to happen. So what I'm going to do is set together a sound construct that enables me to react in an elastic way based on what's coming my direction at any given moment in time. That actually is a much stronger state than if you're trying to constantly create a definition and create that definition. And so I don't even like new normal, right? I think that COVID happened, things have changed, and there's a new way of thinking in a lot of areas of the the business world. And we're trying to figure that out as we move forward. Obviously, the work from home, not work from home thing is a hot topic right now. And again, on this one, everyone's trying to figure out what's the standard we should set. We should set the list of rules and then everybody's going to adhere to the rules and then it'll be awesome. Except that corporations are setting rules and employees are saying, no, that's not working for me. And they're saying, well, well, yeah, but this is what we want it to be. Yeah, but it's not working for me. So some people are saying, well, I'll agree to it, but I'm not happy about it. Some people say I like it. Some people say, forget it. I'm never, never going to adhere to that set of rules. Whereas I think we need to Think about what is it people are asking for? What is it people need? I think the winner is going to be the businesses who really are doing the market sensing with their employees to understand what is the next version of a work environment. And so new normal, I would sort of put in there with outside the box.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, there is no steady state. What we really want to be able to achieve is an organization that can succeed in a really iterative, agile environment.
0: Right? Exactly.
1: Not, hey, Right we're not saying chaos is great we're saying that like we need to be built right to understand that we're going to have to move with the changes and not built to try to pretend that there won't be any changes
2: Exactly uh,
1: yeah. And I, I mean yeah. just on a on a personal I don't like the word normal I don't like the word What's normal you know, when people, Who gets to exactly. decide Who, Who gets, gets to decide to what's normal and who's decided normal's interesting normal sounds it's boring It's not
2: interesting <laughs> right? I'm not I'm with you I'm I'm super with you on that one
1: Yes all you know right.
2: the other thing about these phrases that worry. Sorry, I think maybe you were going to ask me a question. No, no, go ahead. The other thing that worries me about overused corporate jargon is when it infiltrates the you know our being. It becomes the essence of who we are. I think it actually has the potential to trickle out into the marketplace in an unproductive way. Mm. So let me let me tell you what I mean by that. I can promise you this. I have never sat my husband down and said, you know, hon, I've been doing some thinking and I really feel like we need a paradigm shift to create integrated synergies with the way we're loading our dishwasher. (laughs) I don't. I might say, hey, hon, I think the small plates are fitting better on the top rack. Maybe we should put them up there. (laughs) And very rarely, maybe in some technical solution sets, Very rarely do our customers speak this way. Mm. Very rarely would a customer say, what I really need you to do is think outside the box, work 110% to create a new normal of a product that you're going to deliver to solve my problems. No, they will say, I'm in pain. I need help. Can you help? And then they speak in the voice and the language that is relevant for them and their specialities and the way they talk in their industry, the way they talk in their roles, the way they talk in the the persona that they occupy when they come do their work every day. So I think when we allow ourselves to drift into corporate speak, that very often does not resonate with the people who are actually using the products we're building We create a disconnect in our vocabularies. And so I would rather, and then we have to do translations and that just seems silly. I would rather that we find a way to have our word choice within our organizations align more closely to the way that our customers speak. Because then it starts to engender a culture where we're always speaking like we're speaking on behalf of the customer, which is a good thing. And so corporate speak has the potential to drift out into the marketplace in an unproductive way in the way that you're representing yourself to the marketplace, because you're throwing a bunch of big words in your mission statement that the average person that you're helping, it doesn't resonate with them. And so I would, I would also caution people to think about that impact.
1: I think the other thing with these common phrases is that even when the intention is good, right? Thinking outside the box means let's be creative. Let's like go beyond our boundaries, right? But when you hear them a lot, they lose their power and they lose what the, the sort of sense of nuance or specificity to your organization, right? They just feel like a stamp, right? And, and the reason I think this too is the second word on the list, which we didn't talk about was culture. Right. And it made me sad because you and <laughs> I are both very, very firm believers that building a strong culture is what makes your teams really productive. But the reason it's on the list is because it's thrown around all the time, right? Like it's a culture, it's a culture, but they don't, right? Like the intention is right, but they just use it as a stamp. And I'm like, if I just call it culture, we'll be okay. We have this, it's the culture piece. Or, and it's not really taking into account the depth of what we really mean about building an organization of people who feel safe and who trust each other and who can be themselves so that they can give their best. And I think that part is so important, but the stamp culture and the way it's sort of overused and misused means that it can kind of, you just roll your eyes out. You're like, oh, another culture initiative. I bet we're going to play, you know, trivia in our socks or whatever.
2: Right. I mean, yeah. it, you make such a fantastic point. Overuse creates trite. Yes. That's and then it yep. becomes a cliché. And then it doesn't hold the value. And I get it. Language is fluid and and words get glommed onto and they come in and out of vogue. But when we default to those trite things that perhaps are inhibiting our thinking, maybe it's time to just look at it and reevaluate. I also love the idea. I think we grab these phrases because they're easy and they're on the tip of our tongue. Yeah. Right. Everybody uses them. It's much harder. I mean, I challenge everybody on this call to think, go for a week and not say, think outside the box. I already almost said it like four times on this call (laughs) because it's there and it's on the tip of our tongues. And so it's easy to trot out, but even think about that. I mean, challenge everybody this week to try not to say some of these phrases and see what kind of mental overhead that puts on you. It's probably a good thing because now you're driving your brain to a new place.
1: Right, and how else can you describe what you're looking for in a way that's going to feel much more real to the audience? You go and ensure that you guys have a better understanding of the same thing. New normal to Kirsten may not mean the same thing as it means to me, but if we're really talking through what we intend with that phrase, we're going to get a better alignment than we would by just throwing out a couple of words.
2: I know sometimes we think multisyllabic words make us sound smart. Sometimes simple conveys things much more effectively. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Don't give 110% in your syllables. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now people are going to be like, I listened to this podcast and I'm supposed to never check email on vacation and only work 100% of the time. So, you know, maybe, uh, well,
1: it's, what's done is done. What's done is done. But with that in mind, Kirsten, we talked about lots of different things with our favorite buzzwords. If you were going to have people do two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would it be?
2: You know, I think it's what I just said. Think about your go-to phrases and then think about what you're really trying to convey and then ask yourself, is it the best choice or do I want a new way of conveying that? And do I want to convey it in maybe the voice and the language of the people that we're serving or helping or even just my audience? Mm Because different members of the, the company have different frames of reference. Just challenge yourself to think about what are those phrases that you just grab because they're readily available, they're easy, everybody understands them, you can throw them out. You're habituated on using them and try to find some find a different way to say it and not a new phrase, but a different way to say it. And then I would say if you're not working in a sustainable way, maybe try to figure out a way to have that conversation with your manager to talk about priorities that have a material impact on the business and also the need to have space to do other mental work that isn't necessarily a checklist.
1: And I'm going to add that third one, which is related to your second, take an honest accounting of yourself and where the time spent isn't because someone else asked you to, but because you've, you've put it there and see where you can trim that up. 100%. Not 110 just a hundred, not a hundred and ten. Right
2: there, that's one of my phrases I need to work on. I am the master of colloquialism, so I probably this is a "do as I say, not as I do" conversation.
1: <laughs> All right, Kirsten, as always, a pleasure having you on. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. Ah!